Robins at the Gate with Sky Sports and Five Lives Michelle Owen. Proudly sponsored by Mansion Bet, your favourite place to bet. Get £20 in free bets when you join today and bet £10 on any sport. Always bet on red with Mansion Bet. New customers only. Minimum first bet of £10 at odds of evens or greater from a UK debit card. For £5 free bets valid for seven days. Full terms at mansionbet.com. 18 plus. Be gamble aware. Hello and welcome along to Robins at the Gate with myself, Michelle Owen and Gregor McGregor. So much to get through today. Coming up, we'll be talking about the Sheffield Wednesday game and how Gregor took in two games in one day. And we'll also obviously look in detail at the Sheffield Wednesday game, whether it's a handball, not handball. Mark Ashton is off. We've talked about it on this podcast quite a lot recently. And Gregor, as with so many things, was right. Uh, we'll talk about the fallout of this and Steve Lansdowne and his recent meetings, what's happening with Nigel Pearson. We'll look ahead to Wickham midweek. And Gregor actually had some great intel about Dean Holden last summer. And he got a bit of stick for it. Turns out, surprise, surprise, he was right. And here is the man himself. Hi, Gregor. Uh, welcome along as always. How are you feeling today after your epic Saturday? Well, you left your house probably just before seven, and I think you must have got home almost into Sunday. Crazy day for you, <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, and then you took in another game. Um, just explain what happened. Uh, yes, there were two games in Sheffield, which was kind of handy, both sides of the city. First, obviously, at Wednesday, then at um, the Blades in Sheffield United for the Youth Cup game. Unfortunately, yeah, a loss in that one, but obviously a draw at Sheffield Wednesday, as we'll come on to. And yeah, a long old day. But I have to say, I do recognise we're, we're very privileged and there's people out there who would love to get to games at the moment. So hopefully, guys, keep it, keep hanging on and hopefully it will, will change soon. Yeah, and um, good work by yourself as well. Hard work. Let's talk about um, the game that... Bristol City fans with respect to the um, other game will be most interested in today and that's the Sheffield Wednesday one um, for the senior side. Now, I was watching this down at Quest and the red card in real time, it looked a stone stonewall red card and then I saw on social media people saying, no, no, it wasn't a red. I'm like, really? So we got up all the replays we could of it and we looked at it from all, because there's usually four cameras now at a game, aren't there? And it was so hard to tell. So I thought, oh, I'll just text Greg while he was there. And uh, you said, no, it, it wasn't a handball. And having seen it back, reckon that's still the case? I do, I do. I, I, based, <laughs> I based that on just Nigel Pearson's comments and he was absolutely adamant after mm. the game that he hadn't touched it. And I, I, I trust him on that. I don't think he's... Um, towing the the party line, I don't think he's one eyed on it. I genuinely think uh, if the Henry Lansbury had touched it, I think he would have said. And then, yeah, I was watching the Quest highlights, and you guys sort of seem to have like a um, sort of magnifying glass. Yes, yeah. on, 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 and, and I thought it did kind of show that he maybe was a little bit short of the ball. The the only thing I would say is why does he put his hand up like well, that? Because exactly, yeah. It's like a keeper waiting for it to clear the bar. It was very odd. Like yeah. I think maybe, you know, we've all played football where we've stuck a hand out before, but it, it was very odd and I'm sure he regrets it. Um, but yeah, even if he didn't touch it, you know, you can't be putting your hands up like that because when balls come in from corners now, you know, players could just be waving their arms around for no reason just to put other people off. So you can't do that anyway. I mean, yeah, he should not have been sent off. He didn't make contact with it, but you can... with you know, sympathy to the ref referee. You can see how it's happened. But as um, Dean Ashton pointed out with me on, on Quest, the way the ball and the spin of the ball carried on off the bar 
when we slowed it right down. That's how we could tell, but we couldn't tell before that. But, you know, ultimately it did change how the game went. Um, Barry Bannon, oh, you'd bet your bottom dollar on him putting that away. Mm. Never missed a club penalty. Always a thorn in Bristol City's side. Much admired in BS3 and he misses it and actually to go on against the 10 men of Sheffield Wednesday who had 20 shots although well, not many on target um, it did show some character to get that late equaliser from Backinson didn't it? Oh yeah absolutely I think it, yeah it, it was another gritty performance actually from Bristol City Nigel Pearson had said that he really admired their nil-nil work against Nottingham Forest the week at before at home, even though they weren't at their best attacking-wise, they kept the clean sheet then against Chris Hewton's side and they followed it up with another draw this Saturday, but obviously in very different circumstances. And they just hung in there, didn't they? I thought um, there were several good performances from the likes of Bentley at the back and and across uh, maybe maybe midfield with Backinson, who will come on to, I'm sure. And yeah, I mean... Actually, with Bannon, I thought he had a terrific game. Apart so from many great finishing, runs, uh, yeah. He was getting of, into great positions, wasn't yeah. he? But just the final product wasn't quite there. Yeah, and he's, as you say, he's been a thorn in the side of Bristol City. I think he scored the um, well, he scored in the last two home wins for Wednesday against Bristol City. So did expect him to put the penalty away, but obviously great save from Dan Bentley, who's, who sort of crowned his fantastic season. I wonder, well, the um, voting has just opened for the Bristol City player yes. of the season at the moment via the Supporters Club and Trust. So that could be good timing from Bentley. He's got to be in the thinking there. And yeah, the defence was did, did, did pretty well to basically keep Wednesday at bay. I don't remember... Wednesday having too many chances, a lot of shots from Windass and Harris, and mm. but not maybe not quality, big big chances, no. half 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 chances, and yeah, terrific hit from Backinson to to secure a point. Yeah, well done to to Backinson because he's coming for a little bit of stick at times this season, which I think has been unfair. What excited me about this Bristol City side, and I, you know, let's be honest, they haven't been great to watch for much of the season. But when I look at Semenyo Backinson and Sam Pearson, sort of, I guess, I know Pearson was substituted off, and Zach Viner as well. When I look at those youngsters, you know, it does give it a little bit of hope around all the doom and gloom at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, Semenyo 21, Backinson 22, Pearson 19, Masengo 19. So the, the, the main part of this side playing at the weekend was very, very young. Obviously, mm. Zach Viner as well at the back there. So, yeah, that bodes well for, for the future. On Backinson, remember he got hauled off, didn't he, against QPI? He came off yep. after just 23 minutes recently as, as Nigel Pearson looked to sort of impact the team, get get them and playing a bit better than they were and and, and, and make a yeah decision that, that would spark a turnaround. It didn't work at home against uh, Mark Warburton's outfit and yeah, but we did wonder if Backinson was going to be then out of favour and, and might suffer for the rest of the season. But he's come back into the side and, yeah, he had a good game at Hillsborough. Terrific goal, as, a, as I say. And he actually was was pretty um, influential across the game. I don't think anybody completed more dribbles than Backinson, actually. And, and, he, and he won a few good games as well. So, so yeah, decent showing from him. Yeah, good for him. Pleased for him. Um, moving on from the Sheffield Wednesday game. A point picked up, a useful point as um, we're on the very much home straight of the season now with not much to play for, if we're honest. Mark Ashton is the big news this week. He is off. You know, Gregor, we've talked about this for weeks now. And um, as always, your finger is on the pulse. Um, I read with interest, and I I know by now it's a few days old, this news we're recording on Monday. Um, But I read with interest the East Anglian Daily Times, their 
the local paper for Ipswich Town. And that is where he's going to become the new chief executive as they are having a takeover. And the connection there, as you rightly pointed out, is um, someone he worked with at West Brom. I'll let you expand on that. But what I actually didn't realise is that Mark Ashton was a goalkeeper for West Brom's youth and reserve teams during the uh, late 80s. And uh, it was that connection with West Brom that he went on to become um, a director there. And, and there, there's a relationship there that is married up again at uh, Ipswich, isn't it, Gregor, as you, as you mentioned last week? Yeah, basically he's gone to go over and join up with a guy called Mike O'Leary, who he worked with previously at West Brom and also at Oxford United, and who is has been described to us as as a mentor, basically, for, for Mark Ashton, someone he really looks up to and someone who has basically persuaded him to to come over to to the east of the country and, and take up a new challenge there. And that's what we understand uh, is, is how Mark Ashton sees it. There is a, a chance to have an impact at another club and, and to have a major impact. And he sees it, Switch Town, as, as a huge challenge. Um, a, a few extra details. We, we learned this week that basically he called all the playing staff together on Tuesday and, and he got them together and said, uh, that he'd been headhunted by Ipswich and he couldn't turn down an offer like this. And and yeah, we, we spoke about it before. There were some rumours out there. It's fair play, I think, to The Athletic. They broke the story and there were rumours on on uh, internet forums on, on both, the, both the Ipswich side and Bristol City side. And yeah, it's... Um, it's it's come about we did say that it would be something to look uh, keep an eye on in terms of for the end of the season and that's the way it has planned out and I don't think we can ignore it that there's certainly a lot of Bristol City fans out there who, who see this as, as a good thing um, I, I just, I'm, I'm a bit yeah. go on. I was going to say I'm a bit more in the middle uh, on on sort of what Mark Ashton's legacy is going to be and I do think there are questions. I wrote about this last week. I do think there are questions for the outgoing CEO uh, because obviously he leaves Bristol City and there are some 14 players out of contract coming up this summer. So that's not great. We've obviously discussed the the medical situation uh, and I do think that the club has suffered abnormally with injuries this season. I, I, I think they've suffered more than anybody possibly in the Football League. So uh, Mark Ashton put that team together. So I think there are some question marks there. And yeah, I, I know a lot of the fans uh, berate him for the recruitment. I I don't think that, well, certainly the recruitment has been hit and miss. Mm. But I don't think you can hold Mark Ashton particularly responsible for that because he's always made it clear that the manager has the final say. And okay, yeah. I would s- yeah. say that he, he comes in for some of that. But yeah. what fans tend to do is is pigeonhole people or, yep. or make it black and white. Whereas some of the time, I think these decisions are made um, together and sometimes they are genuinely joint decisions. Don't get me wrong. I think Bristol City have not got their recruitment, have not done well enough over the last five years that Mark Ashton has been there. And I do think there are question marks there. But this is something he's said himself that they could improve on. And I, I, I do think there are successes there, certainly on the sales side, maybe not so much on the incoming, but but then they do have a decent squad in, in position still at the moment. And are they where they should be in the league? I would say yes. I think they're a mid-table team. We predicted eighth to tenth in the league or something at the beginning of the season. I think if they didn't have the injuries, I think that's roughly where they would be. Yeah, agreed. And 
although we want answers from some things, I just, I don't see it happening, Gregor. I would, I would love it to happen. I would love Mark Ashton to, to come on this podcast with us before he leaves and, and sit down and have a chat just about how he's found his time here, what's gone well, what's gone badly. And Mark Ashton, if there's any chance that you're listening to this, we would love to have you on the podcast um, to have uh, a chat. What is interesting is he's joining up with Paul Cook, um, who yeah. didn't get the job. At Bristol City when he was interviewed. So that is, that's a, a side note. And I think Gregor, you know, I think come the end of the season, you and I will sit down and we'll record a podcast. We'll look back at this season and we'll, we'll probably go into Mark Ashton's tenure in more detail um, than we are today. Cause there's, there's lots to pick apart, but you know, he's still got a few weeks left. There's still things that could be done. There's still an impact he could made and let's hope he doesn't check out and he can make some positive moves before he goes because there's there's no one else at the moment, so it's down to him. And Steve Lansdowne came across um, this week. Do we know much of what happened besides the Mark Ashton meetings, obviously? Anything more with Nigel Pearson? Any clues? So, yeah, just want to clarify that. We actually, um, Nigel Pearson clarified that he hasn't met with Steve Lansdowne just yet for face-to-face talks. And our understanding is that actually Steve Lansdowne hasn't come over from Guernsey yet. But John Lansdowne has returned from overseas. We believe he came in um, during the week. And because he's come back from Bermuda, he's had to quarantine. So because anyone returning from overseas has got to quarantine, I think it's for 10 days, but I think you can expedite that process. And we believe that that means that John Lansdowne, the chairman, will be around <clears throat> during this week. And therefore, we might start to see something happening towards the end of this week. Obviously, Steve Lansdowne has got to come in from Guernsey yet. He hasn't done that. So, yeah, definitely, definitely something to keep an eye on towards the end of this week, um, maybe even beginning of next. And, the, yeah, the games are running out, aren't they? Because mm-hmm. we've got Wickham on Wednesday, we've got Luton next Sunday. After that, just two final matches. And Nigel Pearson has said himself, he doesn't want to get let this get to the end of the season. That will be too late. So it's approaching crunch time. The club have got to make a decision on his future. Mm. Echoes of last summer, I'm afraid. It has been dragging on quite a while. Um, oh, just talking of last summer, before we move on to previewing Wickham and talking about the big football news this week as well in the world of football. Um, I've just had a text. You know what? We, we record this podcast pretty much as live and I've just had a text come through on my phone from my colleagues at Quest. Jose Mourinho has been sacked. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a big one that's just come through, and I know you uh, you admire Spurs, uh, don't you, Gregor? So uh, anyway, that's that's not for this podcast. That's <laughs> but that has just flashed up. It's such a big day in football, and we will move on to that news of the European Super League, supposedly, in just a while. But before we do that, I want to mention Dean Holden um, because he he to us, you know, we we are big fans of him, and we've made no secret of that. Gregor, you know, yes, our job is to be broadcast and journalists and, and and get across things fairly. And I think we did that when he was here, even when things weren't going his way. We were critical when we needed to be. We were fair when we needed to be. But last summer, when there was all this speculation about whether he was joining or not, you said he was being linked with coaching at Stoke. You got stick for it. And hey, ho, look what's just happened. Well, yeah, it was a really odd one, actually. It was the following the Stoke game. Obviously, it was a 2-0 win. Narky Wells and Andy Vyman scoring that day. One of Bristol City's best performances of the season. And because we were doing press conferences by Zoom, I actually failed to get into Dean Holden's press conference until right at the very end. And I basically missed most of the press conference. But maybe it maybe he was a little bit more outgoing to the local journalists there, knowing that that the, the Bristol ends weren't in there. So 
So, yeah, it was just one of the things he said, in, and he, he, he sort of said at the time, you come to Stoke City and it's one of those clubs where you're thinking of managing in the future. And I thought that was a little bit of an odd thing to say at the time. And, and now it transpires that he had had talks with Michael O'Neill about joining the coaching staff. And yeah, fair play to Dean. I Listen, it's obviously something he considered last summer. He was then offered the head coach job and it's that's an opportunity that obviously doesn't always come around. So he, he was never going to turn that down. And mm. one way or another, he's ended up back at Stoke and yeah, I do I do wish him all the very best. I do think he is a very, very talented coach. He's very, very popular. Don't don't get um don't forget that in the in the dressing room, uh, at other clubs, in the game, he has got so, so many admirers and, and honestly I've, so. never, met, I've never met anyone that has a bad word to say about him. You know, and 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 rightly so. And uh, for me, actually, a really inspirational person as well. So I, I know personally that myself and my family are going to keep in touch with Dean, and we are super, super pleased for him that he's back in football where he belongs. Now, um, let's let's have a quick dip into Wickham before we move on to the European Super League stuff. Wow, what a result on Saturday! So Saturday morning, for Norwich to get promoted. Swansea had to drop points and so did Brentford. And I was like, no, won't happen. It's not going to happen. And uh, and also, you know, Norwich could do themselves a favour in the evening, but they eventually lost to Bournemouth. It was quite an incredible day, actually, in the EFL overall on, on Saturday. But Wickham, they just, they won't back down. But they do need a lot. I think they need nine points from 12 available now to stay up. So they still look fairly condemned to their fate. But I'll tell you what, Gregor, this is not going to be an easy match. You may go into this match, looking at the table, thinking, oh, yeah, bottom of the table, Wickham, three points. No way. They've drawn with uh, Swansea, as I said. They did lose to to Luton, but they beat Rotherham 3-0. They beat Blackburn. They drew with Coventry. And they've had some incredible results. Beat Preston lately. Uh, Don't write them off. Isn't that right, Gregor? Absolutely. I, I thought they were fairly impressive, actually, when they came to Ashton Gate on, was it Boxing Day? I think, I think it was. And I think it was, maybe, was there, yeah. Yeah, and they maybe deserved something from that game. They played very well. I remember Gareth Ainsworth was saying afterwards that, yeah, his, his side should have got something from the game. He was really pleased with the way that they'd put up a fight and they maybe had the better of the chances, as has so often been the case, unfortunately, in BF3 this season. And yeah, they they give a they give a real good account of themselves, don't they? I I I think this could be tougher than than Saturday's game. I, I really do expect Wickham to get something here. They are no pushovers. No. Um they uh, at at home, okay, they haven't had the greatest record. I think they've only won five games, but <laughs> they've they have had some decent form on their own patch, I think. I think it's three three wins in the last six games on their own and um, turf. So yeah, this is going to be difficult. Do not get me wrong, and uh, I, I could well see them getting something. Yeah, and when you look at that team from Boxing Day, it was a lot stronger than the one that might be out with respect on on Wednesday because they had uh, Naj in there, O'Dowder, Chris Martin, and not sure how they'll be looking with these games coming thick and fast as we near the end of the season. And Luton on Saturday as well, Greg, or just a quick nod. Uh, Sunday, it's Sunday. Why has that been moved to Sunday, by the way? Well, I asked Nigel Pearson the other week on this and he said quite honestly that he didn't know, but I just wonder if it's because Bristol Bears are playing on the Friday night at Ah, Ashton Gate and they didn't want to play the very next day. I might be wrong on that. And it, it kind of makes some sense then because obviously it gives the 
the pitch a, a chance to regenerate. And obviously, it's been a it's been a contested season, hasn't it? So, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, there's only yeah. A, few, a few games left. Yeah, it's fair, fair enough if it works works for them. And sadly, it doesn't affect the fans at the moment because they can't be there in terms of being there in person. Although I appreciate it, it affects you if you if you want to watch the game and you may have other plans. Now we're allowed out of the house a little bit more. Um, Luton Town are above Bristol City in, in the table with the game in hand, five points ahead. And Nathan Jones has done a terrific job. You know, he got so much stick at Stoke, but actually when we looked at his um, points over the season, he's actually not that far behind Michael O'Neill, which is kind of crazy because Michael O'Neill gets a lot more credit. But beat Watford on Saturday. Uh, yeah, force to be reckoned with. This is going to be a tough game, Gregor. It is, yeah. Uh, so, again, I, I think sometimes I look at recent results and I just think that Bristol City have been so bad at home with those seven losses in a row, that that just can't continue. And I just think at some point they will get a win. So I actually think they might get the win here. Luton have been certainly better at home, haven't they, than, than away from home, even though they're in good form. Mm. And yeah, it's interesting. It would be very interesting to see if Joe Morell is in there. The well, starting quite. Line still... Imagine. You know, you know what happens yeah. when old old players play against the, their former teams every time, I'm telling you. <laughs> the rule of the X, yeah. So... Yeah, I actually, I actually do wonder if they might get something from this game and they might well need to, obviously, with Brentford coming in the final home game and this might be their last chance. And it would be good if they could end or, or at least get a win in one of these final two home games because basically the supporters have, have not seen too many good things uh, in BS3 of late and I think they could just do with a, that bit of a pep up, sort of just a, a positive, something to, to hang on to ahead of the, of the summer and... And obviously, what's going to be a what certainly looks like it's going to be a bit of rebuilding at Bristol City, effectively. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting summer, and uh, we'll be here. We think for most of it to to talk you through what's going to happen, and we're looking forward to the end of the season where we can start looking back on on what's been a bizarre season and the fallout of Bristol City this year. So much has happened. Uh, some of it's been quite surreal. But talking of so much happening, Gregor, well, quite the news that broke yesterday. 12 of Europe's leading football clubs have announced they've agreed to establish a new midweek competition, the European Super League, governed by its founding clubs. The proposal involves the clubs forming their own competition to rival the UEFA Champions League. Uh, For context, these are the clubs um, potentially involved. I'm getting a little bit annoyed that they keep saying the Premier League's big six because... It's not necessarily true anymore. That's Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham. And also AC Milan, Ars- uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Juventus, Real Madrid, uh, founding club supposedly. Very interesting. Bayern Munich and Bor- Borussia Dortmund are not included. I suspect that's because they're 51% fan owned. Am I right on that, Gregor? I know you know, know quite a lot about German football. So yeah, their fans aren't going to have this. This is massive in the context of football as a whole. You might wonder, why are you talking about this? Why, why is this going to affect Bristol City? I'll tell you now, if this happens, this will affect Bristol City, won't it, Gregor? It'll affect everybody. Yeah, it's huge, absolutely huge. We could be on the brink of sort of civil war at the very top end of the game. I do wonder if if yet the, this Super League might flounder and it might just be a case of extreme, extreme brinkmanship and posturing because uh, basically UEFA were are about to sign off or that they were about to sign off on the basically um, reformatted Champions League from 2024 onwards. 
And they were supposed to be um, going to that Swiss league format where it would all be, um, yeah, they'd get rid of the group stage before the knockout stage. And instead, everybody would be in one long league and play teams as per their seedings. Instead, yeah, we've, we've seen this uh, announcement last night, very late on a Sunday night as well. And incredible scenes, really, that all the, these top 12 clubs have signed up to it and, and, and announced it themselves. And yeah, we've already seen the Premier League, FA, Boris Johnson all come out against it. So something's got to give. And I, I do think it's interesting that they have basically announced a, a memorandum of understanding and basically a preliminary agreement. But there aren't just yet any binding contracts or anything like that. So it's not too late for it to all be disbanded if it needed to be. On the other hand, are they going to try and push this through? And in which case we could be heading for years and years of litigation and and lawyers and, and lawsuits and, and everything. So, yeah, it's just crazy, crazy times. I think some people might sit here wondering, well, why would they do this? Because it's going to alienate the fans of those clubs. The, the massive general consensus so far seems to be people are really against this. But business-wise, they're probably thinking perhaps fans in the Far East or in other countries, they'll sit down to watch a football match at 11pm on a Tuesday or Wednesday evening and the TV rights would be be huge. You know, look at the financial implications. It's worth billions of pounds. It's backed by a massive bank. And this is why the owners of these clubs have had their heads turned because I find it hard to believe, Gregor, that footballers, real footballers, people who, who love the game, that grew up playing outside their house, maybe on a on a, a five-a-side pitch down the road with their friends. That's not why people got into football. At the end of the day, most footballers play football because they love it. Let's not get it wrong. The riches of football are incredible. And, you know, you and I sit here and we make a living out of it. We're, we're very lucky. But we do it because we love it. And this would take away from the fans who essentially started these clubs that have been with them all the way. I've read um, messages from friends this morning saying they're ashamed to be Liverpool fans, Manchester United fans and so on and so forth. This isn't what football's about at all, is it? It's not at all. Um, it's all about business, isn't it? And money, essentially that's what it comes down to, money. It's been backed by the yeah the bank, JP Morgan. Apparently they've stumped up £10 billion to bankroll it initially. That would be shared between the 12 founding clubs uh, mostly, so they could expect a, a two hundred million pound windfall straight away, and they're using their argument is that they're using that to offset the the costs that they've had to um, take on board from the, the COVID pandemic affecting them. And it, it is about money, and unfortunately, yeah, I I think that we might be straying into the political sphere here because I think it's going to come down to that. Do the are these clubs now businesses, and they have to be regulated as businesses, or are they um, entities that are that are essentially fan owned, even though they're not in in Germany. That, that is the case, as you as you said, and and they are basically pillars of the community that need to be safeguard, safeguarded as such. So I do wonder if we might see some some government legislation come in that will stop this all from happening. But but that um, is is yeah. conjecture at this point. And um, yeah, well, you know, it's it's very even though it's theoretical. It's very possible, and maybe just just maybe that is what what it will take. But we don't know that. We're just speculating, as Gregor says. But um, <laughs> what I think is is really causing quite a lot of outrage is these fifteen so called founding clubs would have their participation guaranteed, and only five clubs would be based ended on. Let me quote this: sporting achievement. We're not quite sure 
what that means. Um, it's it's just an unbelievable sense of entitlement that gets me, Gregor. The great thing about the EFL, whether you're Grimsby battling to stay in the 72 or whether you're Bristol City and you're actually not that far off the Premier League, that is always the goal. Look at Norwich. They've spent an even time between the Premier League and the Championship um, over the last decade or so, maybe even longer. But they always want to get back there. And that's what's so great about the Premier League. But if you do this, you know, we've often said, actually, the pyramid could, could crumble from the bottom up. You know, you need these teams in the EFL. And when clubs have been going bust, which we've seen through COVID, and it's been heartbreaking because you touched on the community aspect, that is what could threaten to happen. But actually, I think if this happens from the top down, the pyramid could crumble. So the ramifications, they'd just be, be massive because if you don't have your way for Champions League qualification, it, it just, it takes everything out of balance. And I know UEFA and FIFA have come out and spoken spoken about, about it. Um, have you got some final thoughts on this for now, Gregor? I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to it um, next just, week. Just just to echo what you said, this is sport and the fi- founding principles of sport are that everybody competes, yet this runs contrary to that. They're looking to bring in an NFL-style system where the basically the, the, the founding members are all um, guaranteed their place and that they won't ever leave that and at the same time I, I do think it ties into the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus all suffering financially um, and, and certainly in the, with Juventus's case on the pitch as well and yeah that, that's their, that's what, what's powering this that those clubs are desperate for money desperate to the point where they're looking to reform the, the game at European level and I, UEFA won't stand for this and the, the governing bodies have got to be strong here the likes of the Premier League uh, the likes of UEFA, FIFA, they've got to um, say that they're not going to stand for this. They've got to threaten the ultimate um, punishments, such as yeah, relegation, uh, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, being thrown out of competitions. God, because imagine, they, they, imagine just Liverpool in, in the Championship. Yeah, <laughs> <It's just crazy. laughs> with a forty, yeah, with a forty-six game season, etc. Yeah, so uh, I, th- I think something is, has got to give. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it all falls apart yet but we see mm. the Champions League uh, basically reformatted yet to to basically be- better cater and 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 go along with what the big clubs want. Well yeah interesting timing that this announcement came just before Champions League reforms as well and, and discussions about them quite incredible and by the way just touching back to that Jose Mourinho news it's the Carabao Cup on Sunday and he's just been sacked before a cup final <laughs> it's just yeah football we look we know football can be crazy and my goodness, this season has been more crazy as ever. But um, as we enter the final stretch, you know, Gregor's going to be at these these games for Bristol City fans. I'll be at some too. We'll be across it for you all and how this news could impact your club that you love, Bristol City. Uh, we'll be back next week reaction to the Luton game. And as always, thank you for listening. And wherever you're listening, if you hit subscribe, then you won't miss an episode. Robins at the Gate. Proudly sponsored by Mansion Bet. Your favourite place to bet. Always bet on red with Mansion Bet. 18 plus, be gambler aware. Please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts.